Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website, showcase your work, blog, or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks. You can customize everything from look and feel to settings and products using beautiful templates created by world-class designers. And there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code PROOPS, P-R-O-O-P-S, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Proops. Hooray, hurrah, once again, the smartest man in the world, Proopcast, takes you to hear from the Sloopies Conference in the Bell House. Keep it up, keep it up. Keep it up. This one's from Malcolm Young, you guys, from ACDC. A severe blow to my teenagehood as the greatest rhythm guitarist in the world uh, takes off to uh, another place where he will be laying down a mad backbeat uh, in the ether. Uh, But we'll talk about him later. Uh, There's so many people that we have to talk about. Let's first get to what's what. Uh, Planned Parenthood of New York is out here tonight. Uh, Anna's man in the table. When you leave, I invite you to walk by the table. It's out that way, out that door there. So if you'd go by and see her, um, look, there's free condoms. Uh, and it says on the condom, because um, if the one thing Planned Parenthood has is a sense of humor, they have to. Um, you'll notice that it's a real sense of humor, not a conservative sense of humor. Oh, already the sensitivity. I love it. Um, you know where Nazis are polite and profiled in the New York Times. That kind of hilarious sense of humor. Uh, no, it's just, it says on the condom here, don't F with us, don't F without us. Uh-huh. Because safe sex is funny, even if it isn't a joke. Um, five ways to support Planned Parenthood of New York City. You can donate at that table. You can throw them a five or whatever you're going to do. Uh, they, they do uh, transgender hormone therapy. They do, uh, let's see, share your story. One, sign up for email alerts. Tweet your defiance, uh, which I think we all do from the confines of our phone. All alone in the room, tweeting our defiance, shaking our fist at the world, looking at our timeline, going, fuck it, Campbell. <laughs> but remember, oh, you are not alone. Uh, there's more of us than there are of them, and that's why we win. Become an activist. Uh, if you're not an activist, you should uh, in your spare time. If you have no spare time, uh, just be nice to your friends that are. And uh, you can don't, there's humor in the show, and uh, I'll point it out whenever. <laughs> Whenever I feel it's not being attended to enough, uh, humor is like a kitten. It will die on its own unless you come and feed it and stroke it every once in a while. So it doesn't just live and like, oh, oh, look, kittens make their own food. No, they fucking don't. Uh, you don't find kittens in the kitchen whipping up a fucking omelet going like, I just went to the store. I got you some corned beef and shit. I know you love that. Uh, 
uh, L5 Donate. We will fight to continue to provide care to everyone who walks through our doors no matter what. Your help supports us. Uh, don't let anyone ever tell you that Planned Parenthood is uh, some sort of murderous abortion mill that women are running for their own evil purposes. It is a key and integral part of health of the, in the United States of America. And men right now should really be paying attention to what women need. Uh, and not what they don't want. Uh, and what they want is health care, and they want a place to go to, uh, like Planned Parenthood, or any of the many independent clinics that are spread all across our fabulous, uh, what used to be democracy. And uh, Brent or Brant? The James Baldwin pin? Blake. Fuck. In my book that I wrote, partially, uh, it was ghostwritten by Donald Trump, but that... Uh, that in my book, I put all of uh, Auguries of Innocence, I put all of Blake's poem, and it's the longest goddamn thing in the entire book, outside of the Julius Caesar chapter, which is shocking. And uh, 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 my editor said, you really need to write a long explanation as to why you're printing this entire fucking Blake poem. And then I meet a person named Blake, and I call them Brent. <laughs> We're all familiar with the English poets, Wordsworth, Yeats, and Brent. And, of course, Brad and Alexander Pope. Uh, and then there's Blake. Thank you very much for this, Blake. Uh, every morn and every night, some are born to endless night. Some are born to endless night, and some are born to sweet delight. Uh, and, of course, my favorite line that I've overused on the show a thousand times, which is emblematic of America right now, the dog starved at the master's gate predicts the ruin of the state. Yes, it's all in rhyme. Uh, anyway, he gave me a James Baldwin uh, pin here. Thank you very much. James Baldwin is an exciting rebel whose voice continues to speak to us uh, across uh, the years, and uh, his pithiness cannot be undersung uh, mm. in any way. And if you haven't seen the movie I Am Not Your Negro, uh, it's required viewing if you want to be a, a, a proof kitten because uh, it is really the grooviest, grooviest thing that could ever be. It's a wonderful film of him uh, speaking at Oxford, speaking on a dazzling variety of topics, and um, his views on race are so pertinent that you wish they weren't. Yeah, you watch it going, really? Nothing changed? And you're like, oh. Uh, Hope and Bradley gave me this. Uh, Bradley, of course, the great British poet. Hope uh, uh, is the thing with feathers. And uh, uh, they gave me this. I don't know what it is. It's a cat napkin. Keep your whiskers clean. Um, and on the back, garde vous moustache propre. No feast is complete without these folded feline friends. Une fête n'est pas complète sans ne serviette chat. Uh, so let's crack one out here, shall we, and see what these cat napkins are like. Oh, they're in a plastic wrapper. Well, you can see it there. It, right now, what it looks like is a kitten fighting it for its freedom because it's been exiled to Krypton at the beginning of the Superman movie. And it's... Aah! And Terrence Stamp as General Zog is coming after it and shit. Thank you for the cat napkins. They're so... I enjoy a cat nap, but I've never enjoyed a cat napkin. And I really appreciate... In fact, I'm going to put one under my mouth, so when I catnap, I have a cat napkin to pick up the cat drool. And uh, in case I get cat scratch fever, which isn't likely, because Ted Nugent is what induces it. Um, although the first time I got it, I was just 10 years old. That is such a lovely gift. Uh, there's nothing like a cat napkin to really lift your spirits. Um, Evan uh, snuck in here tonight, and Evan drew this for me. Uh, it's a it's a smartest man in the world um, placard picture typey thing. Um, I look a lot younger than I am, so thank you, Evan. I'm, I'm, you know what? It's a, it's a woman's birthday here tonight in the front row. I've, what was your name, darling? Elena. Elena. No, for real. 
Elena, uh, one of the great Italian poets, is here tonight. And um, happy birthday. She's 28, and uh, uh, I am too in this picture. That wasn't that funny. Uh, Keanu gave me this. No, different Keanu. You didn't know him. I just met him. Um, I, I think it's awesome that people are named Keanu now. Um, it reminds me of that Flintstones episode when uh, there was a woman, uh, one of the actresses was named Tuesday Wednesday. Uh, I think it's fantastic. And he gave me a book called The Groucho Letters, Letters from and to Groucho Marx. Uh, Groucho Marx was a, a man of rare wit. Although it was said at the Fires Club, George Burns was actually faster than him, if you can fucking believe that. But Groucho Marx had the thing that uh, was, has been described, and it's so brilliantly and succinctly put, for a comedian. He looked funny, he walked funny, and he talked funny. Uh, yeah. And he also hated Bob Hope, and that was what makes me laugh. I don't know, politically, probably a little, but they did a tour together during the war, and uh, they took a train across the country, and Arthur Marx uh, writes about it, uh, who was... Uh, um, uh, 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 Harpo's son and uh, he, he wrote uh, at every train stop Bob Hope would come out and the place would go fucking bananas because he was huge and Groucho would come out and he didn't have the mustache and he just looked like a little guy and he would run back to his cabin on the train and fucking paint on the mustache and put on the fucking Rufus T. Flywheel outfit and then come out like this with the cigar and everybody go oh fucking Groucho's here <laughs> somebody say Stop. dear Julius his name was Julius uh, let's go to his letter. Love, Goody. Goody. I saw the Burl show with Sinatra and Tulula, and I thought it was very good. Uh, later, they wanted to... Oh, they, I had contracted to do a guest shot with uh, Sid Caesar and Imogen Coca. One of the clauses I insisted upon and got was that I would have the material two weeks before appearing. This they agreed to. Later, they wanted to eliminate the clause, and I, still smarting from my shot with Tulula last year, said no dice. So after a good deal of... I know we were hoping for sex, but it's really not going to happen in the Groucho letters. These are obviously letters about appearing on different 50s television shows. Uh, Sid Caesar, of course, did your show of shows, and Imogen Coke is one of the funniest people that ever, ever lived. Uh, Tulula Bankhead is fantastic, and Tulula Bankhead talked like this, darling. Uh, I've been listening to your show so far, and I'm really, really struggling to find the point. What a tidal wave of deceit and trickery this is. Most comedians prepare something, and you've just gone up there and shot things at your ass. They asked Tulula Bankhead about her personality. She used to sleep with men and women, and she said, I'm as pure as the driven slush. <laughs> and Father always warned me about women. What was it? Uh, wh whiskey and men, but he never said a word about cocaine and women. <laughs> JJ, also, uh, if you ever watch the movie Lifeboat, uh, they shot it in a big giant tank in um, Culver City, and uh, the boat floats in there. It's a Hitchcock movie. And uh, Little Bankhead would mount the tank each day and climb up the ladder, and she never wore underwear. And every morning and first call, she'd climb up the ladder, and the entire crew would spontaneously applaud. <laughs> Greg, I don't think that's very funny considering the time period we're in. My name's Chad, and I'm from the Bummer Patrol. The Bummer Patrol, the Bummer Patrol. I came here on a fixed gear bike tonight, and what I didn't want to hear was that decidedly unfeminist bullshit. Why don't you just call this the fucking Harvey Weinstein hour or whatever, Greg? Hi, I'm Senator Al Franken. I'm going to grope you as slowly as I speak. Really? That's okay. 
I met him about five years ago in San Francisco. We, I can't remember where we were staying. Uh, some fancy hotel. It used to be fancy, and it was downtown. St. Francis, maybe? And uh, uh, Jennifer, what hotel was that? St. Francis. And uh, I used to stay at the Connie Francis, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, people were always come on to my house all fucking night. And then, hey, mambo, bah, mambo italiano, right? So uh, the Connie Francis, beautiful hotel. And um, the K Francis as well. Uh, thank you. And the Francis, the talking mule hotel is a hotel that's a reference too far. <laughs> and uh, I was getting coffee downstairs and uh, there was Al Franken behind me. And he was already senator and shit. And uh, I turned around and I went, uh, can I shake your hand? I'm a, I'm a fan. And he went, hello. And I was like, you really do talk that slow. Fuck. <laughs> we'll get to Al Franken. Uh, JJ, you don't forget someone named JJ. JJ is a, a street poet here in Brooklyn. And I'm joking, of course. I don't know anything about JJ. But <laughs> since Brad is an English poet and Blake is a poet as well and Elena, uh, might as well give JJ a poet. Um, JJ, are you a poet? Well, he's not a poet, but he has a lot of fucking attitude. I don't know if anyone heard the dripping derision in that fucking no. That came at me like a boomerang, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. He asked me not to mention the cards he gave me unless they're great. Which, of course, I have no way of knowing because he bought them in a thrift store and they're from 1990. These cards are 27 years old, and I want you to look at the consistency of this gum. I'm going to hit it against the microphone because I want you to know how fucking great the gum was in the Topps cards from the 90s. It only broke into two pieces, ladies and gentlemen. Boy, did they make gum in the old days. Do you know how long you had to chew that shit? Why did children, why were they allowed to eat that? That's poison. It's horrible. It's still alive. Nothing should be in a, a cellophane wrapper or whatever this is. Uh, what do you call it? Co- what covers old time baseball cards? And, uh, uh, and it's still, it's still, the gum is still extant. It's like if you went to Egypt and you opened up a tomb and a fucking chicken wing popped up. And you went, mmm, fucking, fucking gum. What is that, cumin? What are they using? When the Nile floods is when the cumin crop is harvested. And so it shall be decreed that the chicken wing shall be slathered in cumin in the year of Akshubatunatenbatenhat. It wasn't actually Jews who built the pyramid. It was Jews who financed the pyramid. The workers were given an allotment of beer every week and paid and lived in quarters near the pyramid. But the Jews would stand nearby and go, could you hurry? I don't have forever. And the Egyptians would respond, of course you do. Because the Egyptians JJ, you needn't have worried. Uh, Gary Sheffield is the first card up. And uh, Gary Sheffield was one of the hardest outs I ever saw. Uh, when he played for the Dodgers, I used to see him uh, there in Dodger Stadium. Of course, he had an illustrious career uh, with the Brewers and uh, one year with Denver here on this card. Uh, he was a slugger of some intent and uh, could really punish the ball. He was also related, to, I believe, cousins with Barry Bonds. Billy Swift here in a Mariners uniform. He later, of course, uh, uh, joined the Giants and won 20 games with us. 
Uh, Mike Moore, who uh, beat the devil out of the Giants in the 1989 World Series. Mark Gubzika, who played with Kansas City. Tony Armas, uh, son of, and uh, oh my God, he'd already played 1,000 years at that point. 251 homers. Are you going to go through every card and read all the stats? Um, why don't you get your own fucking show? Alvin Davis, when the Mariners were shitty, he was their first baseman, it was great. Paul Molitor, Paul Molitor had over 3,000, yeah, played for Minnesota, uh, here 15 million years with the Brewers, uh, finished with the Toronto Blue Jays. Paul Molitor had a million hits and DH'd and also played second and third nominally when he was with the Brewers. And uh, I used to say, he, he woke up in the morning and he got a base hit to right. That's how Paul Molitor got so many hits. Lance Parrish, this card pack is awesome. These are all all-stars, JJ, from 1990. I quite remember that year. Lance Parrish, Frank Tanana, Kelly Mann. Okay, there's the first dog. Bob Rogers, he was good. Ken Phelps, slugger with glasses. Oh, yeah, there was one. Uh, Kurt Ford, uh, Randy Myers, Ozzie Smith, the wizard. Yeah. And then Mike Marshall, a kinesiologist who determined that he wanted to pitch as many innings as he possibly could uh, with the Los Angeles wrong Mike Marshall. That was a relief pitcher whose name was not Mike Marshall. This is the first baseman who actually dated Belinda Carlisle in the 80s. I'm here with baseball facts that coincide with Go-Go's facts. I'm not certain what players Jane Wheedland dated, if any, but I'm certain they gave her a spanking. Thank you, JJ, for those cards. I'm not going to open the other ones. Um, this is from a friend of Zach's. Uh, I can't remember your name. And Zach isn't here tonight. Is Zach here? Okay. He what? Oh, he gave you the tickets. That's right. What's your name? Joe. Hey, Joe. Where you going with that gun in your hand? Or if you're Willie DeVille. Hey, Joe. Where you going with that gun in your hand? Uh, Zach gave Joe this. Bridget Bardot, Jean Moreau, and Louis Malle's Viva Maria. This is a Western featuring them in bodices, and uh, they shoot a Gatling gun in one scene, and Jennifer and I were arguing over its merits the other night. Just so you know what my life is like, Joe. <laughs> Jennifer and I were arguing over the merits of Viva Maria with Jean Moreau and Bridget Bardot, and I suggested it was a great movie because it's two inconceivably um, fantastically hot actresses um, wearing cowboy gear and going through the most nonsensical plot in the history of mankind. And she was like, it's not that worthy a movie. And I'm like, then you're going to have to throw Butch and Sundance out, at which point I leave. Except I can't because my thumb doesn't work. So any threats of me leaving the house are futile at that point. Thank you very much for this. And tell Zach, thank you as well. I'm going to put that in there and I'm going to put that over there. And I'm going to do this with that because it, it feels fun in Brooklyn to just fucking litter. And... Uh, <laughs> I can't remember who gave me this one. Sasha? Sarah. Oh, fuck, I was close on that. Sarah, who's now Sasha. Uh, um, Sarah's in a Russian novel, and her real name is Sarah Getsky Ananovich Mononovich Ilmonovayevich, uh, and we know her as Sasha. So uh, she gave me this vodka tonight. It's 99 times filtered. I don't know what that means other than Nina uh, saw a bunch of Luft balloons go up during the filtering of it. Was there a more annoying song in the 80s than 99 Luft Balloons? There might have been. No, that's the most annoying one. 99 Luft Balloon. And then at the end, most of us is going to seven. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. 
99 love balloon Find the something, something down Have a in shop and Anti-Semitic, let me just be honest I'm joking, of course What a lovely and thoughtful gift, Sarah uh, Thank you very much for that Yeah Yeah Can I get a fucking witness and shit? What a formal card, look at that Nice bond, too And a gold embossed lettering Greg, the finest vodka flavor of vodka from upstate New York, from Cynthia and Mary, the dancers. Wow. Woo, where do you dance? Okay. I didn't mean to get personal. No, I didn't mean to get personal. It's cool, it's cool. I'm a dancer too. I'm a, I may be a lover, but I ain't no dancer. Uh, it, it looks sensational. Oh, look, it's in its own small plastic case. Where's the cat napkins? Don't F with us, and don't F without us. Look. Oh, I can't quite get in. I'm covered with plastic. I'm covered with cellophane with a ribbon on it. Well, we're not going to transmit any STDs here tonight. We can edit this whole first half hour out. I'm joking. Why can't you understand that? Um, Thank you for this. It says 1857 spirits. Potato vodka, grown, grown, distilled, bottled by in Barber's Farm in Middleborough, New York. Is it Middleborough or Middleburg? No one's ever been there. <laughs> Middleborough, New York. Oh, it's got a long legend on it. Let's read that. Um, the point about having the thumb like this, where it's in a cast and it looks all horrible, is that I fuss with things for a fucking year, and then eventually people grow bored and go, "Will you let me do that?" And I notice no one's doing it tonight, but, you know, it's Brooklyn, so I understand that you're, you're independent. Um, Barber's Farm, 1857 potato vodka is dill, distilled and bottled in the historic Shomari. Sorry? No, I'm busy now. Thank you. Um, Skomari Valley of the northern Catskill Mountains. This exceptionally smooth and complex spirit. You notice bottles never say, um, this completely raucous and eye-blinding spirit is like drinking fucking rubbing alcohol out of a chalice. If you live through the first glass, you deserve a fucking award. Brutally crafted in a horrible rusty barrel by men of ill intent with horrible rough knuckles that they never wash. The potatoes are slaughtered one after the next with a mallet that was used to kill cattle back in the 70s. Yes, 1857 vodka adheres to all the rules of 1857. If the workers didn't work hard enough, they were flogged continuously with a cat of nine tails dipped in brine. 1857 vodka. If you lose your eyesight, it's only one of the benefits of this fine vodka. It's always exceptionally smooth. Uh, It's patiently handcrafted. (laughs) Because we don't want to get the sun. Uh, I can't open this. I think I can. I know I can. It's patiently handcrafted. Impatiently looked after. This vodka is one of the most peremptorily and summerly made alcohols you'll ever buy. 
strength to rip the cap off. <laughs> hang on, hang on. That's just a paper. What's happening right now to the audience who's listening at home or in their car or while they're riding a horse or if they're living in Bermuda right now, uh, we have up to one download a year in Bermuda and uh, we'll be playing there next year, uh, is that uh, I'm trying to open a bottle of vodka, but it has one of those cork caps. It doesn't have one of the handy... Why do vodka bottles not have a handy flip top like toothpaste? Because then you could flick it with your thumb and just go like, squeeze, and then put it back down. This has got a cork in it, like there's a fucking treasure inside that I can't get to. This vodka is naturally gluten-free. Oh, thank fuck. Because I, I just ate a huge stack of pancakes, and I'm going to gluten OD right now, and a gluten boil is going to appear on my gonads, and it's going to be horrible. This part I have to read to you. The gentle nose, sweet tones, and soft finish give 1857 potato vodka a sophisticated character, which is achieved through our ability to control every aspect of production. You over there, what are you doing? I was simply mopping my brow, sir. We must control every aspect of production. Wiping them off here, boss. I need someone to open this. Bill, you're strong. I'm hobbling over. Thank you, Bill. Uh, very exciting moment. Um, doing something totally... <laughs> totally illegal. Uh, I could order a drink from the bar, but really what I need is ice now. Uh, and we'll put that there. Thank you so much for the 1857 vodka. 1857 was an inconceivably shit year in American history. There was a recession. There was slavery. Missouri Compromise. Awful President Buchanan. Um, so if you think today is really shitty and you're all upset because you're tweeting your rage against the, uh, you know, stratosphere, imagine in 1857 when they had to write a lengthy letter to a local paper and it was delivered by horseback. And then two days later it was printed in Letraset and it was poorly wrong. Your, your name was misspelled and there's no way to fucking fix it because a drunk linotypist had to put it in one letter at a fucking time at that point and then run the sheet over it and stuff like that. And the whole crowd's like, so what? Understand that it was patiently looked after. <laughs> My God, the smooth, the smooth Somerset, like the, t the gentle nose, the sweet tones. Ah, the sweet tones of 1857 vodka. <laughs> I'll have a double vodka. Vodka hasn't been invented yet, you fruit bucket. We've got whiskey and rum. Well, I still would like a vodka. There is no fucking vodka here. This is New York in 1857. Hi, I'm in the movie Gangs of New York. And I'm overacting on the poster. Sometimes I have an Irish accent and sometimes I'm simply a pirate. They call him Bill the Butcher because they wanted his character to be as broad as possible. Bill, who's a friend of the show and uh, has come down from Philly, 
has uh, provided a whole bunch of gifts, he said off mic. Bill, who is a friend of the show, has come down from Philly. A kitten's McTavish bag. Uh, and a, Oh, look, kittens, a place to live. No, I don't want to go in there. Please don't make me go in there. I can't. What? There's another kittens in there. And this is how I find you at the end of the day? With another styrofoam kitten cheating on me? Not cheating on you. I'd never get any pussy if it wasn't for that other styrofoam kitten. That was a poorly thought out joke, Greg. I'm Kittens McTavish too, Kittens Conscience. And I'm here to remind you. You're supposed to be a feminist and not make pussy jokes. Oh, go on, make a pussy joke. I'm also the devil when I need to be. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. He made me a kittens as a replica of kittens. I have no idea how you did that, Bill. You're a craftsperson of the highest order. He also gave me Alec Guinness Hitler, The Last Ten Years, starring Steve Bannon and Sebastian Gorka. Jared Kushner as the Tyrannosaurus. Ivanka as Eva Braun. Uh, Melania as Ilsa Koch. And... Uh, uh, directed by Lenny Reifenstahl. Uh, this is a, a, a fantastic movie. Alec Guinness made it uh, in the, um, I want to say, early 80s. Uh, he's quite old to play Hitler in it. But the best scene in the end is um, he's in the bunker, and then he fucks off, off stage, off stage, and uh, uh, you hear bang, bang, and him and Eva have killed themselves. And everyone in the bunker takes out a cigarette and lights it out. And that's how the movie ends. And I always thought that was the best fucking ending of any Hitler movie ever. Instead of showing flags waving and planes flying, just everyone fucking, finally, we can smoke. <laughs> now we know the Third Reich is over. I'm going to have a piece of steak and fucking smoke, okay? Because Hitler was a non-smoking vegetarian, in case you think you're a cool vegan here. You're running with a fast crowd. That's what I want you to know. This is a book called I Am Ozzy. It's by Ozzy Osbourne. And strangely, even though he is Ozzy, he's pointing at you. <laughs> Which basically to me is saying, you are Ozzy. If it was I Am Ozzy, he'd be going like this. But he's going like this. I am Ozzy. I'm Ozzy. Shane, he made fun of the book. Shane, he can't. He made, I didn't realize I, was, I would have pointed at myself. Chapter 9, Betty, where's the bar? Someone's going to die before this is over. I said to Jock McGee on the second night of the Bark at the Moon Tour, Jock was the American manager of Motley Crue. I support Ben and a good mate of mine. Someone, he said, I don't think someone's going to die, Ozzy. I think we're all going to die. <laughs> the problem, basically, was Motley Crue. In my life, I found that that's inevitably true. <laughs> the problem is basically Motley Crue. It, either it's the guitarist with the weird catfish hair on his face, or Nikki Six, who OD'd on heroin, came home, did heroin again, and OD'd on heroin, and had a second fucking shot like Uma Thurman in his chest in one night and lived through it. Or it's Tommy Lee, who says things like, don't let your meat loaf. And... Two friends of mine, who I shall not name, Drew Carey and Jeff Davis, were at a Motley Crue concert. 
in Las Vegas, and they started to sing a song. And Drew turned to Jeff and went, I will give you $20 for every note that Vince hits in this song. That's in the actual melody. They sat through the song, and at the end went, Drew went, I'm sorry. I, I owe you everything. Uh, Motley Crue did such songs as Square, Square, Squirrels. Hot nuts and furry butts. Square, square, squirrels, climbing trees and spreading disease. <laughs> Ozzy did songs like, If I close my eye. Ozzy sang through a coffee can his entire career. <laughs> what was that one? Uh. <laughs> For a time, Jennifer and I lived next door to the drummer from Everclear. Yeah. John, 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 John. I'm still dreaming of your face. That one. Right? Swim out past the breakers. Watch the world die. Watch the world die. Right? He never practiced at home. He sat outside and we would smoke together. And he said he did OzFest one year and that he was like, fucking Ozzy, man, I can't wait. And then he said there was a guy singing underneath the stage. I probably shouldn't have even told you that. I will now be killed by someone named Geezer. I'll be killed by a legion of... What does Black Sabbath fans call themselves? Oh, a uh, 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 rapist. But they... No, what they... That has to get cut out. What do Black Sabbath fans call themselves? Oh, slightly overweight. But they... What they... Evidently, someone doubled on his vocals, which isn't unheard of. You'll see it all the time. Page 353. Dead again. Dead again. By the way, Ozzy's favorite group is the Beatles, and I worship Ozzy. Uh, that's why I feel shitty about telling that fucking story, although I'm going to leave it in the show. Uh, why do you worship him, Greg? Because at the end of the series, they had him on camera by himself, and he went, oh, I might have done some bad things. Uh, Othid, I uh, tried to kill Sharon. But at least I'm not fucking Sting. If the problem is usually Motley Crue, then the deepest problem of all is Sting, because that's problematic. I know a lot of you are young, and you're like, who is the Sting you speak of? Sting pretends to be from Jamaica, when clearly he's not. Roxanne! What? Why? Look, I said to him, is there some kind of high-tech scan you can do to tell me if I'm going to get cancer? What kind of cancer? Any kind of cancer. Well, he said, yes, there is, sort of. He's obviously gone to a doctor in the 50s. Why, yes, there is, sort of. What do you mean, sort of? There's a machine, but it won't be available for another five years at the very least. Why not? Because they haven't finished inventing it yet. Uh, is there anything else you can do then? You could always get a colonoscopy. Although, you know, I don't really see anyone. It doesn't matter. I said, let's do it. 
Who's fucking enthusiastic about a colonoscopy? Only a great rock star, ladies and gentlemen. Motley Crue was unenthusiastic about all their colonoscopies. I happen to know that. Inside info. Ozzy, I am Ozzy, pointing at you, wants you to know that he begged a doctor for a fucking colonoscopy. The drugs are good, but they wear off. Uh, in the old days, they gave you drugs. Now they give you propofil, like Michael Jackson used to carry two canisters of. Uh, but in the old days, they gave you really hard drugs for a colonoscopy. How do you know this? I know a guy. And, uh, and you'd wake up and just be delirious. Uh, I believe, uh, yeah, many hallucinations under the... Um... Okay, so let's start the show. Uh, no, it'll, it'll, it's going to happen. It really is. What, what do we got here? Oh, right. Let's do this first. Uh, uh, Richard Ranch, who's a friend of mine. Um, is, the, is the Wild Boar song on there, uh, um, Arch? Arch? This is a story about an emotional support pig. It's not a boar, precisely, but I'm presuming the pig was a male, so I'm playing the song anyway. Richard Ranch, who's uh, one of our best friends in the world, and you may know him as the keyboard player from the original Who's Line Is It Anyway, is also a doctor of physics from Cambridge. So he's well overqualified to tell fucking dick jokes. And he sent me this. Will you turn it down a little bit? This is from a British paper called The Metro. Uh, will you turn it down a little bit, Arch? Rich, Richard and I have an ongoing pig joke with each other for the last 35 years, considering uh, it happened once we were in the dressing room at the comedy... We turned down a little bit. We were at the, uh, at the dressing room at the comedy store in London, and he goes... He asked about a friend of mine, and I said, oh, he was as stoned as a piglet, and ever since then, it's... Uh, uh, an emotional support pig did nothing to support the emotions of a plane passenger when it started to act up before takeoff. Okay, let's talk about the riding here a little bit. What do you mean it did nothing to support the emotions of a plane passenger? How do you know that it's acting up wasn't some sort of strident fucking evocation of the emotions that were going on deep inside the heart of the passenger that brought it on? I call bullshit. I call pig shit. And therefore, I call fucking Thunderdome. Because that's what Thunderdome runs on, pig shit. Embargo. Me, Chief Herb, no more oil. No one's seen the movie Thunderdome that's in this room, but I assure you, I assure you there's people all over the world laughing at that fucking Thunderdome joke right now. Together they are quite powerful. His name is Master. The animal was taken under a US Airways flight out of Connecticut on Wednesday. Now I'm intrigued. Having been to Connecticut, uh, I was there one time and I uh, died of boredom and donated all my organs. And... I've been to uh, 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 Hartford and uh, um, Providence, all the places. And uh, the Yukon women's team is the greatest uh, women's sporting franchise in the history of the United States. It's a, a, a sensational. Uh, in any case, uh, the passenger tied it up to an armrest when it became disruptive. Oh, really? Why wouldn't a pig want to be tied to an armrest on a plane? I don't know, because they're intelligent and sensitive. Jonathan Skolnick, a professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Here's a new wrinkle in the story. How did a fucking uh, professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst uh, get on into the story? He was a passenger on the flight. Told ABC News he thought the pig was a duffel bag at first. <laughs> professor Skolnick, remind me not to take your class on comparative 
porcine literature, okay? Because you don't know the difference between a pig and a fucking duffel bag. And that's not an old phrase. It's like, not like he doesn't know shit from Shinola or his ass from a hole in the ground. He literally, as a professor from Amherst, does not know the difference between a pig and a duffel bag. I'm putting that into common circulation, and I expect to hear everyone using it in the next two weeks' time. That guy, he doesn't know a pig from a fucking duffel bag. It's like he was a professor from UMass. Right? University. We are not capitalists, right? Wasn't that the Pixies? We are not communists and lots of things you've heard about. It's educational! It's educational! He said, but it turns out it wasn't a duffel bag. We could smell it. And it was a pig on a leash. Which is the name of my new album. It's coming out next year. It's called We Could Smell It and It Was a Pig on a Leash. I've made myself hysterical. I have to pick up the slack for you guys. She tethered it to the armrest next to me and started to deal with her stuff. But the pig was walking back and forth. I was terrified because I'm going to speak like I think Professor Skolnick speaks. If I taught a class at Amherst in comparative porcine literature, this is what I would talk like. She tethered her to the armrest next to me and started to deal with her stuff, but the pig was walking back and forth. I was terrified because I was thinking I'm going to be on the plane with the pig. I teach comparative porcine literature, and yet I don't spend the money to sit in first class on a U.S. Airways flight out of Connecticut. I'm back in steerage, and suddenly livestock is introduced into the equation. I'm going to give everyone a D-minus next week. My mellow's been harshed. The 70-pound pig was causing such a stir that airline staff were forced to ask the passenger and her pet to leave. Parent company American Airlines said, this is uh, American Airlines' corporate voice, the pig was an emotional support animal but had to leave because it kept roaming back and forth. Emotional support pets are becoming more of a common sight on planes. Daniel the Duck was recently spotted on a flight from Charlotte in North Carolina to Asheville. Page three. Daniel the Duck had this to say. Why did the pig have only three legs? You don't eat a pig like that all at once. Greg, there's a lot of vegans in the crowd tonight. Also, you've been talking about an emotional support pig. Fuck it, make America great again. Don't take anyone's feelings into consideration. Just bowl them over with old-fashioned fucking shitty humor from the 90s. Greg, that's why you're here at the Bell House. Where are we, Brooklyn? There's Jews here. Who told me? Why didn't anyone tell me? Jews are people, too. Well, they don't eat pigs. Some of them do. Only when their mother's gone. (laughs) Wild bulls are coming. On the flight on U.S. Air, you've been tethered near a professor, but the professor doesn't dare. 
you started roaming. That's when you were asked to leave. Wow, pig, pig, pig. The... Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. Ready to start your new business? Make it stand out with Squarespace. With beautiful templates created by world-class designers, Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website. Showcase your work, blog, or publish content. Even sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks. You can customize everything from look and feel to settings and products using beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Not to mention, everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. And you can use Squarespace's analytics to help you grow in real time. Best of all, there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade, ever. Though if you do have a question, Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support is there to help. The future's coming. Make it brighter with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code P-R-O-O-P-S, Proops, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code Proops, P-R-O-O-P-S. Don't forget the R, and don't forget I love you. What time do we start? We have no time to do any of this. Uh, the, the mayor of New Orleans uh, is a black woman. Her name is Latoya Cantrell. Uh, she coasted to victory into the history books last week, becoming New Orleans' first female mayor. First female mayor. New Orleans. Uh, yeah. Uh, Judge Desiree Charbonnet, who, despite a substantial early fundraising edge, could not recover. Um, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we congratulate Latoya Cantrell, and she's got lots of plans for New Orleans uh, to smarten the place up and shit like that. Uh, let's see here. This is what she said at her victory uh, 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 dinner. Almost 300 years, my friends, in New Orleans, we're still making history. Hell yeah. Um, really, New Orleans never had a woman mayor who the, in New Orleans, the NOLA, called a female uh, uh, and never a black female mayor. Uh, it's a little bit overdue, don't you think, considering um, who lives in New Orleans? Um, there you are. Uh, Michelangelo, let's see. We went to see Michelangelo. Uh, the Monzi family, who I, I hope you're here tonight, um, there you are. Stephen wasn't uh, able to come tonight. We were going to... Don't ever fucking interrupt me. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I'm joking. Yes, he is. Stephen's still recuperating. Thank you. Uh, he had nose surgery a couple weeks ago. Yes. Uh, sorry. I shut you down pretty hard there. I'm sorry about that. Are you his brother-in-law? Oh, you're his son. What's your name? Hi, Philip. Uh, well, Stephen was really lovely to Jennifer and I uh, yesterday morning. Uh, he works at the Metropolitan Museum of uh, Art in uh, New York City, and we uh, went there at 9 o'clock to see Michelangelo's uh, drawings. And, uh, yeah, I, I have a couple here that I stole. And um, <laughs> this one, no. I wasn't able to steal any. And I know that I'm always encouraging you to steal art, but you, you can't at this exhibit. There was way too many security guards. Plus, you would have had to go downstairs and go ass over tea kettle. I couldn't find any windows. There was no staircases. I cased the place. Let me put it that way. Um, <laughs> Michelangelo was a genius of extraordinary caliber and, uh, 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 I believe, a, a devout Catholic who had a lot of issues. Um, his, uh, uh, why, why do you say he was contentious? Well, because he argued with everyone that he was his patron. Popes, uh, dukes, kings. Uh, Michelangelo would say to them, hey, get off my dick, in, you know, Italian. And, um... The movie with Charlton Heston uh, and um, Rex Harrison from the 60s is called The Agony and the Ecstasy. And Michelangelo was a very small, tough, 
homosexual man who might have been one of the most magnificent uh, engineers and artists and sculptures that ever walked the face of the goddamn earth. His um, uh, masterpieces are legion, right? Of course, the David, Moses, uh, the tomb of uh, 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 Lorenzo de' Medici, uh, the, the, the front of the uh, 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 St. Paul's, I mean, uh, 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 St. Paul's, uh, St. Peter's. Uh, sorry, I just put him in London. Um, <laughs> there's no denying uh, Michelangelo's enormous talent. He accomplished more artistically than Leonardo da Vinci because he finished a lot of projects and he had a giant crew that worked with him at all times. He, know this about Michelangelo. He was buried in his work boots. It was at his request. He was buried in his fucking work outfit and he didn't lay on a fucking uh, uh, platform to paint the Sistine Chapel. He stood like this and painted because there was a letter from him to a friend that he had done a drawing of himself painting the Sistine Chapel standing like this and he wrote, I'm as cold and wet as a cat in Lombardy and the paint falls on my face so I make a perfect drop cloth and shit. And yeah, this is at the exhibit. It's fucking extraordinary. And uh, um, uh, so he argued with everyone. In the movie with Charlton Heston, Charlton Heston plays a homosexual artist from the Renaissance. So stay with me on this. <laughs> he plays it like this. My God, my creativity. <laughs> it can't be trammeled by a pope or anyone else. And Rex Harrison plays Pope Julius. Evidently, no Italian people were available. And so he's on the platform painting the Sistine Chapel, and Rex Harrison will come in and go, Buonanotte! Buonanotte! When will you make an end? And Charlton Heston will lean down off the platform and go, When I am finished! And that's supposed to be the eternal struggle between Pope Julius, the warrior pope, and Michelangelo, the unbelievably inspired artist. Uh, it's also supposed to be funnier, but I think you would have had to all see the movie and no one has seen it. <laughs> except for I. Is it worth watching? Mm -mm. Only if you want to see Charlton Heston play a homosexual artist from the Renaissance. You may remember his battle with the apes and the kind of unbelievable sensitivity he brought to that. You may remember him in Greatest Show on Earth when a train fell on him and he went, get this train off of me. You may remember him in the Hawaii movie where he goes, Leilani, you know how to make a man feel like a man. <laughs> you may remember him in the Ten Commandments when he goes, I bid you part. <laughs> or Ben-Hur, of course, where he kills Stephen Boyd, uh, Masala, his best friend, in the chariot race. And they're not gay. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he comes into the room, right? And he goes... And Stephen Boyd goes, Judah, the race, Judah, the race goes on. He goes, where's my sister and my mother? They're alive, Judah. They're lepers. And he goes, because he's Charlton Haston. Straight guys don't have fruity little emotions. Straight guys have giant demonstrative fucking emotions that allow their penis to enter into the emotional pool. And then he goes, no. If you're looking for a lot of range, I really wouldn't look in the Charlton Heston area. 
But if you're looking for excitement, he battles zombies to the death in The Omega Man. You seem to have seen all his movies. I have. Uh, Michelangelo's uh, exhibit was uh, absolutely stunning beyond measure. Uh, His drawing of Cleopatra is clearly of an African woman, and her breast is artfully exposed, and the asp is biting on it. Um, You'll swoon at some of the parts uh, of the exhibit, and I can't thank Mr. Monzi enough um, to let us in early and have an hour alone. A woman and I, not Jennifer, another woman, bumped into each other in front of one of the drawings, and I went, I'm sorry, and she went, there's no one here. (laughs) White privilege, white privilege, Greg enjoys white privilege. Later, I'll talk about how down I am with the people. (laughs) So we had a big day. Then we went to see Bob Dylan uh, and Mavis Staples at the Beacon Theater, uh, and it was unbelievable. I I, I met Mavis Staples, Jennifer and I. I've told you this story before on the show. I'm going to tell it again anyway, because it's come up again lately, because she's on tour with Bob Dylan. Mavis Staples was in the Staples Singers. Her father was Pop Staples. Uh, She was a gospel singer. Then they became a giant uh, soul group in the 70s, whatnot. Um, She met Bob Dylan, as Jennifer put it, right before he was Bob Dylan. Or I believe she said he was just barely Bob Dylan. And... They were on the road together, and Bob Dylan asked Mavis Staples to marry her. Bob Dylan, as you know, is a small Jewish folk singer, and Mavis Staples is an African-American woman uh, in a gospel group, and uh, evidently Pop wasn't too digging on it. So a couple of years ago, we were in, Scot- uh, in London, and a Scottish host was hosting this afternoon show, and I was there to do another thing. Any, in any case, I was there, one of the guests, and Mavis Staples was there, and the Scottish host goes, So is it true, Mavis, uh, that... Um, you were once going to marry Bob Dylan. And Mavis Staples turned fucking bright red. And her sister was sitting next to uh, Jennifer. And Jennifer turned to the sister, and the sister went, mm-hmm. <laughs> So Mavis Staples goes last night. Uh, we got CDs out in front. We got a new record that we just released, and the CDs are out there, and I autographed them. Uh, so you can do all your holiday shopping here. Don't shop at Macy's. Shop at Mavis. Yeah. Fucking killer. Uh, here, spin that one, uh, 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 Arch. Just for a second. Really, really loud. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh, fucking early on the entrance. Uh, She closed with that one, and it was bitching beyond She also acted like you or I would if we were opening for Bob Dylan. She went, it's really nice to be here tonight at the Beacon Theater. We're opening for Bob Dylan, and then went, Bob Dylan! (laughs) Fuck yeah. Uh, then Dylan came on, and Dylan was lit um, with work lights. He never had any lights in front. It was lights all around the stage, so you couldn't see him. So it was Bob Dylan, but it was Bob Dylan whenever you wanted him to be. He was wearing a leather jacket, a shirt, band pants, band pants. What do I mean by that? There was white pipe down the side. White pipe down the side. And white kid go-go fucking cheerleader boots. Yeah, and he did this a lot. 
kind of stagger across the stage and fucking play, bang on the piano and shit. Um, spin that Bob Dylan one then. Uh, he doesn't sound like he did, right? Here, don't spin it yet. In the 60s, of course, it was, uh, 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 you know, it would be like, um, uh, at the very beginning, of course, it would be, you see, you're looking for someone who's never weak and always strong, right? Which he did last night. He actually did that song. And then in the 70s, it gets into, uh, 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 um, the and then there's the 80s Bob Dylan and Jerry. You know, he might be the devil. He might be the love. He's going to have to serve somewhere. And then there's that weird uh, 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 Nashville skyline. Lady Lee. Lee calls my big baby. And then there's uh, uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid and shit. Lord, take these guns away from me. I can't use them. Hannah It's getting dark. It's dark to see. I feel I'm knocking on heaven down. Right? And then, then there's the 90s still. And then there, uh, which is like, uh, what is that? It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. And then there's now. Where he really sings like Howlin' Wolf. He sings like the blues singer he always purported to sing like. Because now he sings any song and he's rearranged them completely. So they're halfway through the song, you're like, oh fuck, he's singing Highway 61. Because he doesn't go, God said to Abraham, kill me a sin. God said, where you are to kill me God said, no, he said, what? No, it was like, God said, so this one's off like two albums ago, well, Tempest. Here, spin this one here, because he sounds like this now. So imagine it completely dark on stage, so you can't see his face. Just hair and white boots. And he's going, All the early home games In this and this and shoes. Bow ties and buttons. <laughs> High top boots. Uh. And the band's pounding away. Jennifer said to me, how many Jews are here tonight? And I was like, all of them. All of them. We have all come to see you. The guy next to me, after every number, was going, all right, Bobby. Way to hang Bobby. I'm like, do you know him and shit? Who calls him Bobby? I would be scared to death to call him Bobby. He must have done a hundred songs. And then he came out and did uh, like old time tunes, like croony tunes because of the last bunch of albums. And he sang Autumn Leaves of all songs. Here, turn that down for a second. Yeah, someone just went, what? Many people have had a hit with Autumn Leaves, right? And that can call amongst them. But he came out and he went, the Autumn Leaves. Fall by my window. And then the last note was like, <laughs> Jennifer goes, I didn't like that part as much. <laughs> He's in superb form. At the end of the show, they've done the best bow in the world. We've seen them before. And my favorite, uh, they did a bow years ago when we saw them where they just glared at the audience. Well, last night he came out to do the bow and he went like this. It really doesn't matter, uh, as Jennifer said to me, what happens at the show. The crowd makes it all right. 
at a Bob Dylan show. Now, I've seen The Grateful Dead. And uh, as Jennifer so brilliantly put it once upon a time, The Grateful Dead was country music for bikers. Paul McCartney sticker. Oh, no, not that. Did you someone throw that up here? Uh, uh, but Bob Dylan was in excellent form, so if you get a chance to go see him. Uh, let's see. Is Joel here tonight? Did you ever show up, Joel? Why I didn't see you? No, there's no explanation necessary. Uh, thank you. I'm glad you came. I, would, I was going to tell a story, but we don't have that much time. But I'll tell it briefly. Uh, Liz Winstead is here tonight, and Liz Winstead runs Lady Parts Justice League. Joelle Johnson is a comedian right here uh, in, your, in your fabulous town. And uh, Joelle and I, Helen Hong, Ian Harvey, and Liz Winstead uh, were in Jackson, Mississippi as part of the Lady Parts Justice League tour. You may have heard that episode where we went to the, uh, uh, the Pink House and uh, Jennifer and I interviewed the aunties there. Uh, Jennifer a little less successfully than I did because she uh, has a uterus. And uh, the, they were very uptight about anything Jennifer said. If Jennifer interjected, they'd be like, you're yelling! Because they were men. And... Um, to go a long story short, we did a comedy show that night. And by the way, Lady Parts Justice League uh, fights ceaselessly uh, uh, against false clinics in this uh, country who purport to be uh, uh, clinics that help women but are actually just a, a terrible way to um, uh, subvert women and also um, uh, fight ceaselessly uh, to support all the independent clinics and parenthood in this country that are providing awesome health care for everyone. In any case, there's some terrible stories, and I won't tell the one that's the most gross, but I will tell this one that Joelle and I are in. Uh, we were smoking a joint before the show. And uh, as you do, because we're artists. <laughs> and we need divine inspiration. So we're st- this is Jackson, Mississippi. Um, Joelle is uh, 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 African-American. I am white. And we were standing outside. I went to the guy at the door. And the guy at the door had a beard. And yeah, I don't remember what his name was. Caleb or DeKalb or something. And he... Uh, yeah, his name, his name was Faulkner. And he had a beard. He was a nice cat. He was wearing a plaid shirt. And he had a giant sidearm, a 45, a 45 in his holster on his side, open. And he was the door guy. He was taking tickets. And I'm in a bright blue clown suit, giant glasses, makeup, and fucking hair up to the sky. And he goes, are you in the show? And I was like, no, I'm an itinerant preacher, and I just decided to stop by here tonight to gather up some souls in my net. So Joel and I are outside in the car park, uh, parking lot to you, and uh, we're smoking a bound, and um, up pulls a fucking um, SUV with a Mississippi policeman in it, and he jumps out the car, and he's got his firearm out, like this. And Joel and I are like, hmm... And Joel looks at me and goes, oh. And I went, if anything happens, I'm your lawyer. (laughs) So, the dude with the firearm from the the entrance comes out, and the cop goes, so where is he? What happened? And the guy goes, someone's smoking dope. And they look at us, and we're like this. Mind you, the joint is long gone at this point. And the guy at the door, God bless him with the beard, Grizzly Adams goes, no, it's not them. It was coming from over there. And they went and chased off the other way. But I mean, the Mississippi fucking policeman had his gun out. Like, marijuana is a shooting offense? And then you went, oh, right. 
I forgot where I was and shit. I was in Mississippi. Uh, so uh, let's see here. Oh, golly. All right, there's time. Uh, anyways, uh, uh, if you have a moment, um, you might want to go back and listen to that one. Um, very long pause. I was really hoping it wouldn't be that long. May I have a glass of ice if anyone is near the bar? Brooklyn. Uh, now we're to Al Franken. Um, there's grades and there's grades. Um, I'm not the one to say uh, how women should be treated other than they should be treated with respect. If you're a groper and whatnot, um, and if you're uh, someone who assaults women, and if you're someone who violates uh, women's personal autonomy and physical space and um, uh, touches them inappropriately in any way, and by inappropriately I meant I mean, they don't want you to touch them. Um, if a woman wants you to take out your thing and wave it around at them, they'll probably let you know. There'll be a big fucking message that comes across, whether it's in the form of emotional electricity or whether it's in the form of a written fucking note dipped in scent. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Thank you. Now there's, now there's dissenting opinions? Thank you. I liked your ironic trucker hat. It wasn't ironic. I'm here to shoot you after the show. Early Roman kings with the shark skin suits. Why do early Roman kings wear shark skin suits? Because you're Bob Dylan, that's why. Uh, but there's this and there's that. I think we can all agree that uh, Orange 45 is a predator of the highest caliber and that he's done things that are probably unfathomably uh, unspeakable and that really need to be tended to. Harvey Weinstein, of course, and Kevin Spacey need to be incarcerated, as does R. Kelly, and I think we can all agree on that as well. Um, it isn't just a matter of hearsay testimony purportedly and allegedly anymore. If we don't believe the first woman, which woman do we believe? The 51st, the 52nd, the 58th? Uh, where are we at with Cosby? Um, there's some people that should be incarcerated. Um, Al Franken doesn't need to be incarcerated. Does he need to pay for his fucking crime? Absolutely. All men need to own up to what they are fucking doing and bear responsibility for their own intentions. There's none of this uh, 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 oh golly, uh, the women are too hot or women should say no or why didn't women come forward? Women don't come forward because they're afraid they're going to be fucking killed by men, okay? Or their job's going to be taken away from them, or their position's going to be taken away from them, or they're not going to be able to work again, or they won't have the career that they want. That's why they don't fucking come forward, because men control the goddamn game. And I'm real fucking sick of hearing every other goddamn reason about it. Now, Al Franken, because he's uh, someone who's very harsh on the Orange 45, uh, uh, Oompa Loompa Oligarch, uh, Sweet Potato Stalin, Kremlin Controlled Carrot, Papaya Pinochet Administration, uh, doesn't get special dispensation for it. He needs to answer. Uh, but maybe resigning isn't the best thing. Maybe a giant investigation and some censuring would be good. The Senate could censure itself. The Senate could be a self-censuring body, but they're not. Um, all bodies of men have made it so that they don't have to answer for any of these crimes at any time, and that's what fundamentally is wrong uh, with uh, what's going on in the United States and, of course, the world. Um, uh, so what, what's, your, uh, what's your answer to this? I don't have an answer to this. I want 
Al Franken to answer for what he did, but I want a lot of people to answer for what they did. For instance, John Conyers, who Jennifer and I have met, and has a picture of him with Stevie Wonder behind his desk, and had, I swear to you, and this was some time ago, a, a microwave oven in his office that had tape on the window where a crack was. Now, I don't know if you've ever operated a microwave oven with a crack in it, but that's taking radiation into your own hands, like Mary Curie. And has been a staunch uh, advocate of civil rights. It doesn't mean he's not a gropey fucking uh, 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 man. This is what his lawyer said, and I agree with this part of it. I want you to understand how I'm parsing this here tonight. Am I excusing anything they do? No. Nothing is more important than what experience the women had as not victims of these men, but as what men do to women has to be answered for by men. And that's what's most important is that women are understood and believed. When a woman comes up to you and says, this guy grabbed my fucking ass and I didn't want it at all. This guy put his hand where I didn't want him to. This guy kissed me. This guy pressed me. This guy sent me a dick pic. We have to believe them because I'm a guy and I can speak for guys. And there's a lot of guys quiet in this fucking room right now. Because even though we're the right guys who live in Brooklyn and shit and drive a fixed gear bike and have a rescue dog named fucking Vetter, that um, your political bent matters not a whit uh, in the uh, 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 harassment of women. Uh, I believe uh, that John Conyers used public funds to pay off women, and that has to be answered for. This is what his lawyer said, uh, Mr. Reed. Uh, Mr. Conyers is not going to resign. If everybody that was facing allegations, including the president and the members of Congress, uh, there would be nobody left. And that's what the truth is. It's not excusing John Conyers or Al, uh, Al Franken in any way. And if I come off that way, I apologize. Um, uh, but it really goes to the top. And that's what, of course, is so vexing about this entire situation is that um, we've put someone in a position who we know was a predator. And now, in the last uh, day, if you can believe it, uh, it's come out on the um, uh, Twittersphere that uh, uh, Orange 45 is denying that he even said those things and that it's his voice on the, on the uh, PG tape. Yeah, because that's what the lie is. Goebbels would say, the big lie is what happens. Uh, I've got the Hitler movie here. <laughs> and I'm going to wave it over the microphone. Um, lie, lie, and deny, and deny. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get further into this here. Charlie Rose. Uh, Charlie Rose um, was not someone I was ever a huge fan of. If you were, uh, I'm sorry, because now you, uh, it's very difficult to be a fan of him, knowing that he invited women over to his house uh, who were working for him in a professional capacity, went, I'm going to take a shower, and then would come out of the shower with his knob out in front of these women at his apartment, and he did it more than once, and that's why he was fired within fucking 24 hours of the first allegation, and that's the difference between the government and corporations. Corporations have to fire people right away because they have an HR department, and the government does not. The government allows even Orange 45 to be a predator and possibly an assaulter of women uh, at the highest levels. Uh, and men will protect men. Men will circle the fucking wagons, and men will make those excuses. You've heard all of them in the last few weeks. Well, in my day, we used to find them. There's no fucking excuses, and you know it. You fucking know it. Um, the problem is that it's all so universal and so triggering 
Um, I was on a radio show the other day, and another comedian proffered an opinion where he went, so what, all people are assholes? That's not the fucking point at all. If men have power, and men support that power by abusing women, and then uh, protect their own power by making women feel shitty about it, and hard-assing them, and not allowing them uh, to expose the truth, then... No, everyone's not an asshole. Mostly men are assholes. And if that seems Pollyanna to you in any way or one-sided, um, I invite you to take a long, cold drink out of the Niagara Falls that's coming from my fundament. Um, John Cass said this in the um, uh, Chicago Tribune this week. Charlie Rose, the time for honoring yourself is at an end. Creepy old Charlie Rose has been fired. Another in what appears to be a now never-ending line of older, more powerful men sexually harassing young women. Rose, famed but now terminated PBS and CBS broadcaster, is of a generation of celebrity geezers who thought status could shield them from consequences. But now Rose is done. The same goes for conservative Bill O'Reilly, who prided himself on being old school. Like Rose, he was an untapped reservoir of natural gas. They couldn't keep their hands off women at work. They loved themselves so much that their narcissism was a hot poker in their own eyes. They blinded themselves to reality, and reality bit them. Is it any coincidence, one, that the election went down the way it did, two, that the mainstream media, which was full of Roger Ailes, Bill O'Reilly, Charlie Rose, Mark Halperin, Glenn Thrush from the New York Times, that the narrative was decided by them, that the narrative was guided by them, that Hillary was shrill and shrieked a lot, that Hillary yelled at people, that Donald Trump only had locker room talk. This was enforced by all of these people, and that is the giant problem with the media. The problem with the media is not that it's not too liberal or that it's fake news. The problem with the media is that it's run by men and that the editors are men, yeah, and the general manager managers are men, and the presidents are men, and the CEOs are men, and that they don't want to hear a goddamn word. The greatest fucking candidate of our lifetime ran and won by three million votes, and because of jiggery-pokery and suppression, and the media's insistence on being able to drive the narrative all the goddamn time. The night after the, uh, 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 the terrible uh, Billy Bush tape came out, you may remember uh, 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 Orange 45 came up behind her at the debate and went, <laughs> and all that weird shit. And she wasn't allowed to go, fuck off, which a man would have been allowed to do. A man would have been allowed to fucking go like this, boom, and elbow the fucker behind them. And everyone would have gone, fucking, that's a man taking a man's fucking position. But if women do that, they're hysterical. If women do that, they're emotional. If women do that, they're lying. Horrible, horrible liars. All of the women are horrible liars. Right? Women are horrible liars. But men who are old and icky and disgusting and haven't seen the old champ in a thousand years because it's buried beneath a giant pile of fucking Aberdupois and horrible pubic hair that hasn't... Yeah. <laughs> Joe Barton. You saw the pictures. I don't want to go any further on Joe Barton. Uh, Joe Barton is the um, uh, congressperson from Texas who has been the longest sitting congressman from Texas and uh, is not what we would call a liberal. Um, let's see here. Uh, the, Me Too, between, uh, the Department of Defense has collected between 2007 and 2016 6,000 reports of sexual assault and sustained harassment. 
Um, women are raped and harassed in the military constantly. Only Kirsten Gildebrand has taken a giant uh, 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 hand in uh, exposing this. Um, women veterans, women fight for this country and women uh, uh, serve this country. And women veterans are the largest growing group of homeless people in this country. And yet, a sexual assault in the military is never dealt with, and it's never going to be dealt with during this uh, uh, term. That's why we, as the majority, uh, must upturn everything. Congress, pressure mounts to unmask Hill harassers. Some lawmakers and aides, I love newspaper writing so much. Some lawmakers and aides on Capitol Hill worry that several sitting members of Congress are among those who've paid their accusers in recent years. Uh, president, and I use an asterisk next to that, told reporters this week he believes Congress should disclose the settlements. Pressures mounting on congressional leaders to release the names of lawmakers who have secretly settled sexual harassment claims at taxpayer expense, a move that some members of Congress are loath to make. By the way, the names aren't available of which members of Congress have used public funds to pay off people who they've sexually harassed. Um, that is a scandal that needs to be rectified fucking immediately. And you can do it by going to Senate.gov and Congress.gov and hassling your fucking lawmakers till the end of fucking time. I'm not talking to the women in the room. I'm talking to the men in the room right fucking now. You need to get on the phone and you need to email them and phone them. Um, because you've got to have everyone's back. You've got to have women's back. Um, the people that are in Congress that have been harassing women, they all need to be gone. Let's be fucking honest about that. Orange 45 needs to be gone for what he done did. Um, This is a headline, and I'm not going to go into the whole article because I want there to be joy tonight. (laughs) Jennifer suggested today that I give everyone a break, but evidently I haven't. Politico is a a site that sometimes has facts in it. (laughs) This is the headline from this week. Roy Moore, as you know, is an accused uh, pedophile from the state of Alabama, who's running for Senate for Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III's Senate seat. Trump throws Roy Moore a lifeline. That's how they characterized it. You saw the press conference the other day. Um, he came out and he went, uh, 40 years is a long time. Uh, he's run eight races and this has never come up. We don't need a liberal person in there, a Democrat. Um, I've looked at his record. He's talking about Doug Jones. It's terrible on crime. It's terrible on the border. It's terrible on the military. Doug Jones is a hero of the legal system who went after the men who blew up uh, the little girls in Birmingham in the 60s and went after uh, the real bomber in Atlanta. Uh, I mean, Doug Jones couldn't be more of a right guy and Roy Moore couldn't be more of a wrong guy who was, as we found out this week, barred from malls in Alabama because he was hitting on teenage girls. And a woman uh, police officer said that he was also, she had to watch him all the time because he was always hacking on young girls. Um, The fact that we've come to this point in American history and that the Republican Party is willing to push a pedophile forward and that not only that, all the people in Congress that are Republicans have generally denied him, that Orange 45 is willing to come forward because he's protecting himself. Um, In Roy Moore, he sees a mirror image of himself, a predator of young women. And he said, you have to believe Roy Moore. But why wouldn't we believe the women when Roy Moore is not only uh, an uncredible witness in his own stead, he's um, not as physically attractive as he might be. (laughs) You'll find that undercharacterizing is the strongest part of my game. (laughs) 
we're going to move forward here. Uh, Jennifer suggested I do this, and I'm going to do it. Um, um, let's spin this next one here. Um, I'm going to ask you to spin it in a minute. Um, ACDC uh, is a rock band, and they're still a rock band. Um, Malcolm with Angus was the founder and creator of ACDC with enormous dedication and commitment. Let's see here. Malcolm and Angus, uh, you know, fuck it. I saw ACDC in 1978 with my cousin Donnie at the San Jose Civic Center. We wore scarves, and we got high, and on the way there, my cousin Donnie went, when we get there, let's pretend we're English. And I went, fuck yeah. So we stood in line, yeah, and everyone that talked to us, we were like, yeah, we saw Black Sabbath last year. It was like fucking great. We fucking did that. We were like teenagers. Then we went in. And ACDC played. Um, Angus had a, a sneaky cordless, and, uh, uh, which in those days was high tech, right? It was 1978. The, co- the guitar didn't have a cord on it. And he appeared in the crowd with Bon Scott at one point. The, he left the stage, and it was just Malcolm and the other two cats on stage, whoever it was, then Phil and the other guy. And um, uh, he appeared in the, in the house, and Angus was on his shoulders. And, and Bon ran through the crowd with Angus banging head the whole fucking... Spin this next one. It's called Problem Child. And it's fucking really, really, no, super fucking. If you like subtlety, you're in the wrong room right now. Really fucking loud. Top this. That one's awesome. At one point, Bon Scott says, even my mother hates me. This one might be the white people national anthem. Why do I say this? Because it's not Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. I refuse. I was in a place in Alaska, a disco, in 1990 doing a gig. I wasn't doing the gig at the disco. We went to the disco after. And a guitar player was up there by himself, and the whole place was going mad. And he played this song. This might be the greatest rock song of all time. Will you spin the next one? I don't know how to describe its majesty. It's like the Rolling Stones met Led Zeppelin in an alley and got in a fight. And there was a guy in a schoolboy outfit. This is Malcolm, by the way. And fucking... By the way, Malcolm did this. She was a fast machine. She kept the motor clean. She was the best damn woman that I ever seen. And I was side to side, telling me no lies. Knocking me off with those American files. Take a moment and share. me find She told me to Um, don't listen to the lyrics. <laughs> Jennifer goes, 
she kept her motor clean? Don't listen to lyrics. Just fucking bang head. Bang head. There's no replacing Malcolm Young. Uh, wow. Let's see here. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead one uh, and go to uh, John Hendricks. John Hendricks was, um, when I die, uh, which, you know, when I die, uh, I, I, I always wanted, um, Leslie Hallowell wrote, wrote a film book, um, and uh, uh, he would describe Robert Mitchum and Kirk Douglas. Uh, he, he characterized every actor in the film book. Like it would be um, Lauren Bacall, and he would like, say, like, a sultry femme fatale, right? Or uh, 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 Audrey Hepburn, um, pixie-ish, you know, a glamorous movie star. Robert Mitchum and Kirk Douglas would get American tough guy. And it was like, when I die, ooh, American tough guy is fucking good. John Hendricks was a jazz singer, a composer, and it was in a group called Lambert Hendricks and Ross. Um, in the, he was described in the Washington Post and the New York Times as the poet laureate of jazz. Um, I know that I'm not going to get that, but this is my other favorite one. Uh, Scott Yanow, the epitome of hip. Yeah. When you die, there's only two things you can hope for. One... Uh, a shitty uh, cheap wine reception and being called the epitome of hip. Um, I want you to spin that first one. Uh, it's uh, Avenue. New York, I dig. I don't New York, I dig. New York is big. Really loud. I know it's jazz, but try to get with me. One day I was walking and finally came upon the series of alphabet streets. A, B, C, and D. John Hendricks. John Hendricks was uh, in the service in World War II, and the racism was really getting good. He wanted to study law, and he met Charlie Parker. And Charlie Parker said, "You're not a lawyer. You're a singer." And he went on to Fort Lauderdale. He embodied the spirit of improvisation. He grew up in a household of 15 children. Began performing at 11. Eleventeen. <laughs> Elena, am I right? Eleventeen is the sweetest age. <laughs> happy birthday, happy birthday, baby, oh, I love you so. Sixteen. Um, after enduring racial taunts as a soldier during World War II, was jailed for desertion and running a black market smuggling ring. He was considering law as a career when Charlie Parker told him, you ain't no lawyer, you're a jazz singer. Uh, vocalese gained currency in the early 50s because of Moody's mood for love. The singer and lyricist, uh, lyricist Eddie Jefferson, Eddie Jefferson was a whole other story, but Eddie Jefferson sang like this. Um, I cried and I cried and I almost died. Eddie Jefferson's remarkable. Um, uh, he began uh, pitching together a meager living, and then he put uh, Lambert, Hendricks, and Ross together. By the way, Annie Ross is still alive and still unbelievably awesome. Uh, let's see here. Play that next one. This is Cloudburst. He didn't write this one, but it was a giant fucking song for them. And then when I first heard it, was the pointer. I was blue and I was always wearing a frown. Really 
The Pointer Sisters did it in the 70s, and that's why I first heard it. Um, but there's no replacing John Hendricks. He was well into his 90s, and he was uh, the grooviest, grooviest, grooviest. Um, what makes America great? White people, yeah. We had our moment and shit. There's Mickey Mantle. I get it. That's the best you can come up with with white people? Abraham Lincoln had his moments. Uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, LBJ. Uh, there's been a few cool white people here and there. Uh, Gloria Steinem, obviously, is a, a, a white person who's pretty cool. Um, but let's be honest. Um, the reason why we're American and the reason why when you go to foreign countries you can be proud is because there's jazz and blues and yeah, rock and roll. And those weren't invented by white people were there. There's no question. White people were there. Um, yeah. So, as a white person, you might think to yourself, hmm, maybe I've been a little strident. Maybe I should think about John Hendricks a little more. Uh, if you were the poet laureate of jazz, uh, you might be uh, irreplaceable in American history. Uh, if you were uh, the proponent of vocalese, vocalese meaning they sang like people blew, right? Like jazz cats blow on their axe and shit. Um, jazz cats blow on their axe, and that means they're free-forming and improv- uh, improvising. Um, uh, and that uh, really... Mavis Staples and Sojourner Truth and um, um, Maria uh, Maria Tallchief and, uh, well, um, you know, golly, the list goes on and on. Uh, Women and people of color are pulling a lot of fucking weight, and they had to pull it because um, they had to be better um, than any white person because white people get to the front of the line, and there's a lot of kind of shittier white people at the front of the line. Um, I'm not you know, blaming Billy Joel. I'm just saying that... I can feel it calling in the air tonight. Oh, Lord. Really? Spin that Della Reese song. Here's about Della Reese. Della Reese was discovered uh, by Mahalia Jackson, who's one of the great gospel singers this country's ever produced. And um, Della Reese, never mind that she was untouched with an angel, which awesome, you know, and all the TV appearances she did. She had a talk show uh, in the early 70s and was the first black woman to have a syndicated talk show in the United States and uh, was an amazing uh, figure in show business. Why don't you spin that one? It's called um, Don't You Know. Uh, dig this one. Nineteen sixty. She did an album in the fifties called 
Delaray's Cha Cha Cha, where every single song is Cha Cha Cha. And it's really awesome beyond measure. Um, there's no giving Delaray's enough credit. Why, Greg? Why? What other black women had a talk show of their own in 1970? What other black woman was the most promising singer of 1960, uh, according to Cashbox and Billboard and all those? What other woman had a giant career that went all the way to Touch uh, by an Angel and all that? Or as Ryan Stiles insists on calling it, Touch by an Uncle? <laughs> There's no underestimating what she had to go through. The racism, the segregation, the staying in different hotels. John Hendricks, too. Delores too. They have just started swirling in the heavens. They were amongst us three days ago. Do you understand where I'm going with this? Orange 45 is president. Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III is uh, attorney general. The racism in the air, LeVar Ball, Colin Kaepernick, who, by the way, spent the weekend at Alcatraz with Indians and giving money to people. This wrong-going feud that our current administration has with black people is indicative of the intense racism that's going on now. And when I throw to you John Hendricks and Della Reese, when I throw to you the people that I'm talking about, um, their contribution to American society is immeasurable and way more important and way more, I mean, empirically, let's talk about what our lives are about. Your life is about poetry and emotion. What you experience when you're alone in a room with the one you love. What you experience when you're on the dance floor. What you experience when you're having a moment of fucking elation. What you experience when a moment of inspiration strikes you. And how many times has that moment been ignited? How many times has that moment been elated? How many times has that moment been inflated and pushed to the heavens by Jefferson Beauregard Sessions? Or <laughs> now you follow me. The poetry that's important in the anima that binds us one to another is not only solely found in people of color, but has been exponentially profound and put forward by them as the best that America can fucking offer. Why do women and people of color have to strive twice as hard as mediocre white guys like me who are up here talking their shit? Um, all I can do is try to be a proponent, and that's all I ask any uh, person that's like myself to do. Speaking of white people, David Cassidy is swirling in the heavens. And I have a soft spot for David Cassidy, and anyone my age would. Um, he was a teen idol, and it was no fault of his. Um, he was absolutely gorgeous. And he auditioned for the Partridge Family Show not knowing that his stepmother was going to be the lead of it. I'm not fucking kidding. Um, spin this jam. Uh, yeah. This is some fucking catchy shit. I'm sleeping and right in the middle of a good dream. Like all at once I wake up from something that keeps knocking at my brain. Before I go insane, I hold my pillow to my head and spring up in my bed, screaming out the words I dread. I think I love you. So the other night, Jennifer and I were watching telly, and um, uh, Do the Right Thing was on, and we watched the end of it. And then Crooklyn was on right after it. And I'd never seen Crooklyn before. And if you've never seen Crooklyn, it's a Spike Lee movie, a joint, uh, where he, yeah. Um, 
It's about uh, his family in the 70s. And the kids are all in one room at one point. And one of the kids goes, can we change the channel? And one of the kids turns to the other kids and goes, I'm watching the Partridge family right now. (laughs) And they all sing along with the fucking Partridge family. Um, David Cassidy never, ever did anything wrong, in my opinion. Um, He had to do what he had to do. His father was a terrible compulsive gambler, uh, which rings a giant uh, uh, triggering bell with me. And uh, David Cassidy was gorgeous. Um, There's been a lot of obituaries uh, written about him. But what I'll say is this. Um, He made people happy when he was giantly popular. And then he had to seek redemption at the other end and at the out end of his career. And you can't ask anything more about anyone else. And that song, you will fucking sing on the way home tonight on the subway. (laughs) You will be in a taxi or a subway home tonight, and you'll be going, well, I think I love you, but what am I so afraid of? I'm afraid that I'm not sure of. A love there is no... And why is there a clavinet solo in the middle of it? (laughs) Or is it harpsichord? I get List confused with Brahms. I get Blake confused with Brandt. A couple of things, and then we're going to fuck off into this good night. Um, we're here next week in Brooklyn um, uh, on the 6th and 7th. Uh, we'll be at the Punchline in San Francisco the 28th through the 31st. Um, the 28th will be the podcast there. Uh, then I'm on the road with the Who's Live guys. We're doing Walnut Creek, Oroville. Um, oh, this is what I want to tell you. Uh, we've relocated the uh, Greg Proofs Film Club, and uh, we finally, we're finally coming back. We found a new location. Um, there was a lot of uh, jiggery-pokery and horrible sexual harassment going on at our old venue, and so we, now we've gone to the Cinematheque in Hollywood, and on the 24th of January, we'll be showing Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 and then, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure is awesome beyond measure. Uh, then we'll be in Escondido, Cupertino, Santa Rosa. Uh, then we're doing the Lady Parts uh, Justice Telethon on the uh, uh, 1st of February. And then we'll be in Vancouver, Anacortes. I will also be in um, Philadelphia next year. I'll be in Seattle at the he- uh, uh, Crocodile in Seattle, the Helium uh, Comedy Club in Philadelphia, and Tacoma and Spokane. You can go to greggroups.com and find all that shite there. What I wanted to leave you with this was uh, leave you with was this. Um, Warren Pete Moore, an original member of the uh, Motown group The Miracles, um, is swirling in the heavens this week. He knew Smokey Robinson from the time he was a kid. Why are you mentioning him? He was the bass singer in The Miracles, but he also was a tremendous songwriter. Spin this first song. He co-wrote this fucking song, which might be one of the greatest soul songs of all time because it has the line... Just like Pagliacci did. Really loud. No, leave it up for a minute. 
really loud. There is nothing but fucking hope in the air. This is the time that women are taking back the night. Decency is returning. We're understanding that women are telling the truth. We're understanding that everything that comes from this administration is lies. We've understood in the last election that transgender, gay, and people of color can win posts in this country. We are the majority. There's no reason to fucking hang your head. You've got to get up every goddamn morning and know that you're imbued with the fucking fight that we require. If our parents, grandparents, whomever, could do it in the 60s and 70s, if our parents, grandparents could do it during World War II and the Depression, we can do it now. You've got to find the inner strength that you know you fucking possess. This will not last, and it will not go on forever. Fascism never does. It fails because of its innate impropriety and the fact that it's completely unfair and that everyone fucking knows it. It doesn't matter how many people prop up the horrible fucking helium balloon or hydrogen balloon full of lies because hydrogen's more flammable. We, as a giant group, are forcing the fucking change. History doesn't go backwards. Gay marriage, women's rights, abortion, LGBTQ rights, the rights of immigrants, the rights of the disabled, the rights of every group in this country that's being put upon and assailed upon and destroyed by the chaos, malfeasance, and Russian complicity of this goddamn thing will not fucking stand. In five years' time, you will meet me back here. I will be a hologram. (laughs) Boiling from a giant copper pot. And as my head rises like Jombie the goddamn genie from Pee-wee's fucking playhouse, you and I will reach out and join fucking hands like Mavis Staples once urged. And you will goddamn know that this is the fucking way of the future. There is no way to stop what's going to happen. They can kick their feet and they can be the fucking obstructionist fucking pieces of shit. They can try to suppress the vote. They can enlist their Russian allies. Facebook and Twitter and all that can be complicit. In two years, in a year's time, there's an important election. In three years' time, there's an even more important election. But every election is important. Every woman in this room, get the fuck out there and do what you need to do. And every man in this room, get every woman in this room's fucking back right the fuck now. Every person of color in this room, within the sound of my voice, go and buy a gun tomorrow morning. (laughs) Buy an AR-15 and ask for 1,500 rounds and tell them you don't feel that good about society right now. We can change this and we can change it in a goddamn second. You need to fucking know that. William 
Pete Moore is not swirling in the heavens because he had to. William Pete Moore did everything he needed to do, as did everyone I fucking talked about tonight. Um, you must wake up in the morning with your heart swelling with fucking hope. The forces of evil are strong, but we outnumber them. And we have something else. We fucking care. We really fucking care. It's not just some bullshit supporting a lie that's a Russian bot that's aided by some bullshit that's guided by some evil fucking force. You know what's right and you know what's wrong. And that's what we're talking about right goddamn now. Um, I'm going to spin this last uh, one by Pete Moore. He wrote this for Marvin Gaye or with Marvin Gaye. And it's astounding how good you can feel when you let yourself go and get in touch with the poetry inside all of us. Dancing is important. Romance is important. The smell of flowers is important. Baking cookies is important. Don't let these fucking fascists grind you down with their malfeasance and bullshit, with their fucking lies and dissembling, with their fucking horrible, horrible, horrible... Uh, uh, bizarre, archaic shit that's going to take us all back 50 years. Nothing's going back 50 years. Time moves forward and progress is our fucking prerogative. You have been the smartest crowd in the world. I have been the smartest man in the world. May every page you turn to a satchel page play ain't that peculiar.